Jackson Cheerio's second half surge may have saved both his and the Biloxi Shuckers season. I'll tell you how next. You are locked on MLB prospects, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, freelance baseball writer and podcaster, and thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're proudly part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day, and I want this to be your show. If you have show ideas, if you have questions, suggestions, tons of ways to get them to us, whether it's Twitter, email, subtext, Discord, reach out, let us know what you want to hear, what you want to talk about. Uh, so when I was in double A last week calling games for the Montgomery Biscuit, the affiliate of the, of the Tampa Bay Rays, one of the big overarching storylines the entire week was how the Biscuits had a half game lead over the Biloxi Shuckers, affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, for the South Division of the Southern League in the second half. The winner of the South Division would make the postseason, which starts next week. And so... Uh, it's it's interesting how Biloxi is surging in the second half. Uh, in the first half, they finished the first half of the season 34-35, and 35, so seven and a half games back. Uh, they scored 345 runs uh, in 69 games, so four runs more than they gave up. But in the second half, Biloxi is 38-24, and 24, so they're only a game and a half back of Montgomery, and the half game is because they had a rainout that was not made up. They've already scored 384 runs in 62 games with a plus 70 run differential. And a big part of that has been the ridiculous surge by Jackson Churio, the consensus really number two, number three prospect in all of baseball, the number one outfield prospect in all of baseball. And for the most part, just behind Jackson Holiday for, uh, for best prospect in baseball. By the way, name your kid Jackson, maybe. Apparently, that's a thing. So in the first half of the season, Jackson Churio batted 249, 304, 410. 11 home runs, 25 extra base hits, again, in 71 games for Jackson Churio. 22 walks to 69 strikeouts and 23 of 26 on stolen bases. Uh, struck out 21.4% of the time, and the second half turnaround has been absolutely amazing. So in the 46 games since this delineation point, and in just a second I'll tell you what that is, he's batting 315, 366, 550, 11 home runs, and 22 extra base hits in 46 games. So almost one every other game, 15 walks to 33 strikeouts, 18 to 22 on stolen bases. You'll remember early in the year, I talked about going to the AA Southern League to a game and getting my hands on one of those tacky baseballs, the pre-tacked baseballs that they were using. That has been the difference for Jackson Churio. I mentioned this just in passing, I think a week ago, and somebody reached out and said, hey, can you explain more about that and kind of talk more about what actually happened? So thankfully, our friends over at Baseball America just wrote up a piece with some non-public stats that I didn't have access to to kind of help make some of these points. So like, yeah, I could tell you his strikeout rate went from 21.4% to 15.2% when the ball was changed. 
But a lot of the other points, I didn't have the proper data to explain, but now we have this piece from them. So the big takeaway, and something we talked about a lot on this show, is the big takeaway on the tacky ball experiment was pitchers had the advantage, and specifically it came to their fastballs. The average pitcher in the AA Southern League, not top prospect, just the average pitcher added two inches of carry on their fastball. That is the the induced vertical break where the pitch looks like it's defying gravity when you throw it up in the zone. The more carry you have, the more it looks like it's resisting gravity. The idea is a hitter is going to naturally swing under the pitch the more carry it has because they're expecting it to drop farther than it has in the past. Thanks to this great Baseball America piece, and I'll link it in the show notes for for subscribers to Baseball America, uh, we have a lot of granular info now on specifically how that tacky baseball and the extra advantage that pitchers had was giving Jackson Churio and the rest of the hitters in the Southern League was giving them fits. I said the average pitcher added two inches of carry. There were some that had three or even four. And so when you kind of go in there and you look at the specifics to him and his plate approach, and again, thank you to Baseball America for these stats, you can see that it was the fastball. So before the date that it changed, July 14th, he was swinging and missing about 25% of the time overall and about 19% in the zone. So he was at, in this case, 81.1% in zone contact rate. After July 14th, his miss rate went down by 5% from 25 to 20. His end zone swing and miss went from 18.9% to 16%. And his overall chase rate went from 32 to 27%. And so they dove into the numbers and they said, well, was this because he was doing better on everything? And it was almost entirely on fastballs. Like the, almost the entire difference was on fastballs. Uh, his, his chase rate dropped 8%. Uh, his swing and miss dropped significantly as well. And the idea here is with the tacky baseball, the fastballs on average that Jackson Churio were seeing were behaving differently than all of the fastballs he had seen earlier in his career. And they break down the concept the, the, the biomechanical concept behind this. Uh, and it's called visual chunking. So, you know, C-H-U-N-K-I-N-G, chunking. The idea here is you have to make a swing decision very early. And you're not tracking the ball all the way in and deciding to swing. You're swinging very, very early. So what your brain naturally does is... As soon as the pitcher releases the ball and you've seen the initial flight of the ball, your brain recognizes the pattern of this is going to be a fastball, or this is going to be a breaking pitch or whatever, based off of all of the other pitches of that type you've seen in the past that look the same and had the similar pattern. It's, a, it's, like, a, it's like your brain runs a visual sorting algorithm. All the pitches that look like this out of the hand are this type of pitch. and with the tacky baseball and the fact that it had more carry than normal, his brain is saying, this is a fastball. This is where you swing. But it ended up crossing the home plate higher than where he had swung. 
because this ball out of the hand fit the, the, the visual pattern of a fastball, but the actual flight of the ball was different because of the tackiness on the ball and the advantage that it gave to pitchers. And so they talked about his swing and miss on all of these pitches and how different it was before and after. He swung at fastballs 10% less after July 14th. His swing and miss goes down. His chase goes down. His OPS goes up 400 points. Because what happened is now the fastball is back to seeing or the the fastball movement is back to what he's accustomed to seeing and he's used to seeing. And so a significant portion of his improvement is because of that. And because he's making more consistent contact against fastballs, the overall numbers for everything else, his average exit velocity, his 90th percentile exit velocity, his max, his barrel rate, all of that stuff goes up as well because he's making higher quality contact. His average exit velo. um, And so there's a lot of aspects of this tacky baseball besides just was it easier for pitchers to grip? There's a lot of things to figure out and a lot of uh, cascading effects. And you can see why, one, MLB wanted to test this in the minors before it went to the majors. And two, you can see why teams, managers, players in the minors were so frustrated because it was such a significant change and even the best prospects in baseball significantly struggled just because they changed the substance on the cover of the ball from the mud, the typical mud that everybody's had for years, to a new substance that was being used in competitive play for the first time. So, uh, Biloxi and Montgomery, uh, as of time of recording, they will start a six-game series tonight. Again, the Biscuits have a one-and-a-half game lead. The team... like. The the winner of that series more than likely is going to be the the South Division champions and will make the postseason next week. In just a minute, when I was researching a piece for Braves today, I noticed the low home run numbers of the Guardians, and I want to talk about what might happen in that. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. Get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off of NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. So now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app's easy to use. You can bet on everything from spreads to player props and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss from FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. So something I mentioned in every single open is that I'm a freelance baseball writer. A lot of my written content's over at Bravestoday.com. Uh, it's Sports Illustrated's baseball coverage. and. I was writing something about how well the top of the order has hit and like Atlanta's home run expectations this year and all of that, like where they should finish. They're on pace to beat the 2019 Twins for the most home runs in a season. And I was looking for some context and I saw that the Cleveland Guardians as a team this year have hit 110 home runs. 
And so, like, their, their home run leader, they have one player with more than 20, and that's Jose Ramirez with 22. They only have four players in double digits. Josh Naylor has 17, Andre Jimenez has 12, and Josh Bell has 11. Uh, and obviously, he's not even there anymore. And by contrast, the top four of the Braves lineup together have more than 110 home runs. And so, the, you know, the piece I was writing was, was about how amazing the Braves' offense was, but it got me looking into, can the Guardians expect to improve their power production from any of their uh, AAA prospects next year by bringing those guys up? And it kind of settled on two different players, George Valera and Kyle Manzardo. So uh, both of these guys have missed time due to injury. Manzardo also obviously was traded from the Rays to the Guardians. But looking at George Valera, 58 games in AAA this year after being a 2017 IFA. Go back. 2017 IFA has missed a ton of time because of injury. He had broken hammock bone in 2018. Obviously, he lost 2020 for the pandemic. That wasn't his fault. That wasn't his injury, but he missed it time. Uh, oblique injury in 2021 took away some time. And then this year, he's missed time with both a wrist injury and a hamstring injury. So he only has 58 games in AAA this year. 214, 341, 384. Nine home runs, 17 extra base hits, 40 walks to 71 strikeouts, and 0 for 2 on stolen bases. It's not a great slash line and not great slugging for a power for a guy that is expected to have plus raw power or commonly thought of as having plus raw power. I believe MLB Pipeline has Valera as the number five prospect in this system, and it really feels like that's a little bit uh too high for George Valera. When you look at some of the numbers, like he obviously struggles to get that raw power into games. Looking at this year in AAA, uh, 27% strikeout rate, 16% walk rate, which those are good numbers. Guardians like guys who walk a lot. But his overall contact rate, 67.4%. And his zone contact rate is only 76.3. Now you combine that with a 22.6% chase, and that tells me his issue, the reason why his, his contact rate is so low and then his zone contact rate is so low is obviously it's not because he's chasing bad pitches, it's because he has swing and miss in the zone. And when you look at some of the advanced numbers, his issues are not breaking pitches, surprisingly. He only chases breaking pitches 15.7% of the time, which is a really good chase rate. Uh, fastballs, 26.3, which is surprising. He's getting beat up in the zone. They're attacking him with fastballs, and he's not able to catch up to them when they're elevated above the zone. And I assume he misses a bunch of them in the top of the zone. Uh, Off-speed, 24.4%. But then also, his ground ball rate on off-speed pitches is 54.2%. His overall ground ball rate's like 44%, which is obviously too high. And so it doesn't matter how hard you hit the ball or how hard you can hit the ball if, one, you put it on the ground, or it doesn't matter how hard you could potentially hit the ball if, A, you can't hit it in the first place, or B, when you do hit it, you put it on the ground. And so we've got to figure out for George Valera, what is the proper, uh, how do you fix this, right? How do you get him to the point where he can contribute at the major league level knowing that he has glaring issues 
not with breaking pitches like you would expect, but with changeups and with fastballs. Pitches that are more have less movement and are more straight than a breaking pitch. The pitch recognition is obviously good enough to not incredibly like to not chase breaking pitches incredibly often, but you've got to fix that for George Valera. Uh, part of me is curious if he ends up going to the Arizona Fall League for some times. I doubt they're going to do that, but I'm just curious whether or not they try. The other guy, Kyle Manzardo, uh, has had a lot of extenuating circumstances this year as far as some injury as well as some some personal stuff and a trade. He's only played in 12 games with uh, with the Columbus Clippers since he was traded to Cleveland. In those 12 games, he's 12 of 45 with a home run and seven extra base hits, eight walks to 10 strikeouts. But when you look at his full season in AAA, which was not as good this year as his season last year, and again, we've kind of covered a couple of the reasons for that, 20% strikeout rate, 13.6% walk rate. Uh, both of those are, obviously the walk rate's great, Strikeout number, that's perfectly fine. His contact rate itself is 79.1%, and in the zone, 86.9%. That's why you see Kyle Manzardo considered to have a plus hit tool, if not a 70-grade hit tool, is because a pitch in the zone, he is going to make contact. His issue is he is a little more susceptible to chase than a guy like a George Valera. He chases 23.7% of the time, and specifically, it's breaking pitches, which that's what we expect a young player to chase. But Kyle Manzardo's chase rate on breaking pitches is 27.7%, and that's where he sees the most significant misses with a 12.1% swinging strike percentage. When you break it down, it's sliders and cutters, which that makes sense. They're very similar pitches to the point where sometimes you see them get misclassified in, uh, in stat cast and things like that. Sliders, he chases 33.3% of the time. Uh, cutters, he chases 28.6% of the time. He sees a lot more cutters and a uh, lot more sliders than cutters, but obviously that profile of pitch is an issue for Kyle Manzardo and something they're going to have to work on. At the same time, he also has an issue with not being as good at elevating changeups. He has a 41% ground ball rate on changeups. And so. There's work to be done there as well. Now, his, his raw power is, I think, better than Valera's, or his game power is better than Valera's. Valera's average exit velo this year was 91. His 90th percentile was 105, whereas Manzardo's average was, uh, was 90.4, but his 90th percentile was 111.9. So I think the power's better for Manzardo. Like the, ability, the game power is higher, even if Valera's raw power is higher. And I do think Manzardo has a better chance of breaking spring training as a member of the roster next year than Valera does simply because there are multiple options for outfield. Whereas at first base, you can, between first base and DH, you can combine him uh, and Naylor, you know, give them time, rotate them through, things like that. But either way, it really feels like this is still an organizational weakness for the Guardians is figuring out power in the minor league system and getting more power on that major league roster, that definitely feels like it's still an issue for this team. In just a minute, we're going to talk about a by every day or request. We're going to talk about the Richmond Flying Squirrels. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Jace. 
Medical, new sponsor to the podcast. Uh, so if, if you're ever concerned about being stuck in a scenario where you don't have access to emergency life-saving antibiotics, Jace Medical is the company for you. They have a product called the Jace Case. You go online, you fill out a simple online form, a board-certified physician reviews your application, and then a this doctor-created, doctor-recommended emergency antibiotic case arrives at your home. And it has all of the supplies you need in case of an emergency, whether it's a storm, whether it's you're traveling, you know, you're going camping, whatever it might be, you have a case of prescription life-saving medications delivered to your door. And you can save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical, plus an additional 20% off using the code Locked On at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Okay, so one of our everydayers had asked about an update on his double-A team, the Richmond Flying Squirrels. Double-A uh, affiliate of the San Francisco Giants. The, actually, the longest-tenured Giants affiliate that was n- is not owned by the Giants. Uh, there in town, it previously was uh, the Richmond Braves, and they left, I think it was uh, 2008 or 2009. Uh, they left to go to Gwinnett, and they're now the Gwinnett Stripers. A lot of teams have been branding away from the name of the parent affiliate. One, to not cause confusion on a marketing perspective. Two, to be able to sell more merchandise. Because like the Gwinnett Stripers versus Gwinnett Braves, uh, everybody would just wear Braves gear to the Gwinnett games. And now some fans go out and buy their own Gwinnett gear. And then three, uh, so that you can create its own brand identity and help build that sense of community around that minor league affiliate. And so the Richmond Flying Squirrels came in. That was actually a relocation of the Connecticut Defenders. And so they moved to Richmond, became the Flying Squirrels. Uh, This year, they are, for the first time in a while, they are contending for the playoffs. They are leading in the Eastern League, in the Southwest Division of the Eastern League. 37-26 record. And the playoffs are always funny in AA. They are facing off this week in a six-game series with Erie. The Erie Seawolves, affiliate of the Detroit Tigers. But Erie won the division in the first half. So Erie is already in the playoffs. And so instead of really having to worry about Erie, Richmond has to focus or has to think about Bowie, the Baltimore Orioles affiliate, uh, who is 34 and 29. They're three games back of Richmond. And so Richmond has to win four of the six games against Erie to lock up a playoff spot if Bowie doesn't lose. And Bowie is playing uh, Harrisburg, Washington Nationals AA affiliate, who has the worst second half record in the entire Eastern League at 25 and 38. And there's been some top prospects have come through Richmond this year. Uh, Shortstop Marco Luciano, he was there for 56 games. Batted 228, 339, 451, 11 home runs, 23 extra base hits, had 36 walks to 72 strikeouts, and went 6 of 6 on stolen bases. His time in double A went so well, and he showed the Giants that, like, while he was in Richmond, that he was so talented and so good that he went, he was barely in triple A before he went 
to Major League Baseball. I think he spent maybe two weeks in AAA, like two series, 12 games, you know, 244, 320, 422, nothing like mind-blowingly amazing performance-wise. And they, boom, he went to the majors, played four games. Uh, fun fact, at 11 home runs, he is second he is at second place for home runs for the Richmond Flying Squirrels, despite only playing in 56 games. The home run leader uh, is Carter Aldrete with 13, and he's played in 100 games in AA Richmond. Uh, they had outfielder Vaughn Brown come through there and is actually still on the roster. He's out injured right now. He hasn't played since August 2nd. But uh, the 10th rounder in 2021 out of Florida Southern, which I didn't know was a school, 50 games, 221, 284, 421. Eight home runs, 20 extra base hits, 13 walks to 78 strikeouts, and 15 of 15 on stolen bases. Again, hasn't played since August 2nd. I don't believe is going to be activated in time to, um, in time to help with this final series of the, of the year. I don't know the exact time frames. They don't like to talk about minor league injuries a ton. Uh, Carson Wisenhunt, the pitching prospect. 0-1 with a 320 ERA in six starts. He's also on the injured list. Uh, 27 strikeouts in 19 and two-thirds innings to 11 walks. But the guy I want to tell you about, simply because he has done so much for this team and he has meant so much to this team, is Shane Matheny. 2017, 23rd rounder out of Washington State. This is the third different season that he has been in Richmond. So he was in Richmond last year. He also spent some time in AAA. He was in Richmond in 2021 for 58 games. So he has been in Richmond now. This is the third different season he spent some time in Richmond. He has 222 games played in Richmond. His slash line in the 71 games, because he came, he came from AAA back to AA on June 13th. He started the season in AAA Sacramento Struggled a bit to show the power. He was batting 221, 362, 302. They sent him back to double A. And part of that's just to help out uh, with, with having a full roster. Like right now, the online roster shows two outfielders that are healthy. And so you're having like Yoshi Tosugo play left field and things like that. But this year for Shane Matheny, 71 games in double A. 249, 373, 462. 11 home runs. 29 extra base hits, 49 walks to 77 strikeouts, and 8 to 10 on stolen bases. Uh, now, that's all really good performance. Don't get me wrong. Since he has come back to the team, these are the statistical categories he leads this team in. Are you ready? All right. So for the Richmond Flying Squirrels, Shane Mathidi leads them in home runs with 11. Or right, Since June 13th, he leads them in home runs with 11. And RBIs with 42, slugging percentage at 462, OPS at 835, hits at 62, doubles at 16, triples with 2, walks with 49, extra base hits with 29, total bases with 115, and runs scored with 42. That's 11 different statistical categories that Shane Matheny leads the Richmond Flying Squirrels in from June 13th to now. He leads all all Giants minor leaguers this season and walks with 87. And then he's in the top 10 and runs in total bases and in hits. And not only has he done all of that, but he has been a 
and valuable defender who has been on SportsCenter multiple times for making great defensive plays. And, and, and he can play just about anywhere on the field. And I say that kind of, I throw that out sometimes, and it's kind of cavalierly. But in this case, Shane Matheny has played in 33 games in center field, 19 games at third base, 10 games at shortstop, five games at second, four games in right, two games in left, two games at first, and he has DH'd once. He has literally played every position but catcher and pitcher. And Richmond, I think you guys got to make that happen. If you lock up the postseason this year, before the end of the year, Shane Matheny needs to catch and pitch in a game. You got to do it. You give the people what they want. So he, they just named him the player of the year, and it is absolutely deserving. He is actually second place on the team's all-time career walks list, and he has the highest career on-base percentage of any player in franchise history with 750 or more at-bats. So our hope in Shane Matheny gets his major league shot. But in the meantime, if you're around Richmond, it's been tons of fun to watch him these last few years dominate in double-A. Fantastic week this week. Some more stuff coming up. If, if you have show ideas, if you have questions, if you want to see your team kind of featured like this, tons of ways to reach out to us, whether it's on Twitter at Crosby Baseball, you can email us, prospects at gmail.com. We have a subtext. We have a Discord. Lots of different ways to do it. In the meantime, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer. <laughs>